What a beautiful testimony that uh, Curtis, your wife, gave. Beautiful, beautiful. And you know, whether it's a millimeter or a mile, whether it's a $1,000 or $10,000 or $10, or maybe somebody pays for your, your meal in the line at Starbucks and or it pays for your coffee, and you're like, that's amazing. The beauty about it is this, is that we serve a God who is a miracle-working God. The God who spoke still speaks. The Christ who acted still acts. The Spirit who moved still moves today. And the Jesus, the Jesus who worked signs, miracles, and wonders, still today works signs, miracles, and wonders. We're looking at the miracles and signs that Jesus did in the book of John in this series called Awestruck. I want to invite you to take out your Bible, your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your iMac, whatever you've got on you, and turn to the book of John, chapter 2. And we're going to hit the ground running with the Scripture today as Jesus begins to set the stage for a miracle. And of all places, He does it at a wedding in a small, nondescript town in the area of Galilee. We'll talk a little more about this. Interesting enough is that Jesus turned water to wine, and that was His first sign. That was His first sign, miracle, turning water to wine. And the religious, ever since then, has still been trying to turn water Back, or wine back into water. You know? Jesus had a way of, of disrupting and showing up and flipping things upside down. One of the things we want to invite you to do is to be open to the miracle. Are you open? Do you have a mindset where you could say, you know what, maybe I've not seen anything lately or recently, but am I open to that? And that's what we're doing. We're inviting you to open your heart, open your life, Open your spirit, your mind to say, Lord, could it be that you want to do something in me and could it be you want to do something through me? So we want you to be open to a miracle and we want you to be part of a miracle. So I want to pray as we get started and then I want to break some things down and we're going to look at this amazing wedding party that almost went awry. Father, in the name of Jesus, it's in that name that is above all names that we come before you today. And Lord, today, we as a people right here, right now, and those that are listening or watching online, we literally posture ourselves as students. We posture ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And Lord, we consecrate our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our very spirit. Everything that we have, we, we open before you, we lay before you, we consecrate before you. We say, Lord, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, be the Spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, I love the testimony that Sarah shared about how God showed up and what He did is He brought confirmation because that's what a miracle does. In fact, if you'll look up at the screen, we talk about being open to the miracle. We even define what a miracle is. A miracle is a work accomplished by God for a godly purpose. Now, I love this next one. Miracles are shoulder taps from God. Have you ever been tapped on the shoulder and it got your attention suddenly? What God is doing is saying, I'm letting you know something. I like, I'm a dude, so I'm a fist bumper. I, I, I'm a high fiver, so they're a high five. It's a fist bump, a shoulder tap. It's God letting you know this. It's a, whether it's a whisper or a shout, here's what he's saying. You're not alone. 
I'm still in charge. My plan will be achieved. I want to say that again, and I want you to lean into that with your heart for a minute. God is saying to us, we're not alone. And I say that to you, you're not alone. He's still in charge, and His plan will be achieved. God will do what He promises He will do. But here's the thing, it's not only just being open to a miracle, but but you be willing to be a participant in a miracle. To actually participate and be part of a miracle. Listen to this. Jesus involved people in His miracles. He would get everybody... He, there's something for us to do. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but asked Martha to remove the stone. He fed the crowds, but told the followers to distribute the bread. He invited Peter to walk on water, but left it up to him to get out of the boat. Are you open to playing a part in God's miraculous displays? Yeah, we can deep dive and go down in the weeds and all this, and we're going to get into our passage today. It's really a fascinating passage. But here's the thing. Two questions, two statements, two, two thoughts, two takeaways. Be a part of the miracle. Open your heart to be a part of the miracle. And then be willing, be willing to be a part of the miracle. Enter in. And if we can get that across, and if that's what you walk out of here of, of I want to be a part, I, I want to open my mind to it, I'm telling you, God will use that. He'll take what we give Him. And a few years ago, Annette and I, we were living in Southern California, and we really sensed God calling us to plant a church in Texas. I had been a youth pastor. We were having a great time. It really, we were at the pinnacle. Everything was going great, and that tends to be when God shows up sometimes. He likes to disrupt things. And he disrupted our lives. He said, I want you to go back to Texas and plant a church. So we loaded up the Penske truck. Remember the yellow Penske trucks before they painted them white? I don't know why they did that. I like the old yellow ones. And we loaded up the truck. We caravaned with 11 incoming freshmen from Southern California into Brownwood, Texas. Now, you got to think of the absurdity for a second. We're talking about surfer dudes and girls coming from Southern California to plant a church in small-town America. That's Brownwood. And so here we are, we show up, they're on fire, they're excited, we feel like God's called us to a mission. But here's the thing, we had no money. Have you ever, has God ever called you into anything where there was no provision? Uh, yeah, if you're walking with Him. Part of the reason of that is, is uh, He loves to create dependence upon Him. He loves to do this with me. I think it's a sense of humor where He puts me in positions where if He doesn't show up, it's going to be a colossal failure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So if we, we load up the truck, we drag all these kids, we get them all registered for school at Howard Payne University. I'd gone to school there previously. We were going back to that area. Felt like God had called us to reach out to students. And so we, we make the trek across the country. We roll into Brownwood. And we don't have a building. We needed a place to meet. And long story short, we opened the classified ads in Brownwood, Texas. That's a town of about 19,000 people. And there's a church for sale. Long story short, we end up with this church and all the stuff in it. Had everything in it. Sound system, furniture, furnishings. I mean, they just literally turned it over to us. We didn't buy it, but we rented it on a dime, basically, because that's all we had. First miracle, big miracle, wow. The second miracle was this. We still didn't have any money. 
And we were trying to figure out how this was going to get taken care of. Let me tell you, it postured us in a position where we were crying out to God saying, Lord, if you don't come through, we, we're going to send a bunch of students probably at the end of the semester back to California and we're going to figure out what we're going to do here. Sometimes you have to get so far out on the edge of faith because he's calling us like Peter to get out of that comfortable, dry boat. I always wonder why the disciples just stood there and cheered him on, didn't go with him. He went out there by himself to where Jesus was. And that's what we did. We, we got out on that, on that plank, so to speak, to step off, not knowing what would be there, but trusting God had given us a mission and a vision. First Sunday we meet, we do some pre-service type things where we're showing up in a living room and we got students showing up and everybody's excited and we have a lot of musicians and we brought our whole youth band from California and they're really talented young, young people. And so we have amazing worship and God's stirring things up and we show up for the very first Sunday. And I have to tell you, our bank, what was little in our bank accounts just going down and down and down because of all the startup costs of getting this going. I walk into the worship center for the first time to turn on the air conditioners. And it dawned on me we had never tested the air conditioners. And it also dawned on me that this was a very old building and that just turning them on was going to cost a lot of money. And I went in there and I literally, I walked over to that little thermostat. There were four of them in that worship center because it wasn't big. It had 175 seats in there and I, I walked over and I just said, Lord, I'm just by faith. And I clicked it on and I heard that rumble. And my, all I could think of was, was the money that was coming through those air ducts. And I was like, how are we going to do this? And then I turned the second one on. And it came on. The third one. And it began to bring the temperature down. This was the beginning of the school year. It was hot. And... We get our worship team there. Everybody comes in. They're excited. I mean, the worship team's our first service. Man, we had like 20 people up. on. We looked like Hillsong. We had 20 people up on the stage, tons of musicians. Didn't know if anybody would show up in the actual worship center, but we were having a great worship service. They are kicking this thing off. Our students were out on the campus telling everybody, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come. There's a lot of excitement. And one of our students, one of our cool, really total southern uh, California surfer dude types comes in. His name was Randy, and he was so excited. He came in, he's like, dude, he's yelling, dude, this is awesome. He was so stoked, and he came running down the aisle while we're playing in worship, while we're going. Everybody's excited, and we kind of grind to a halt there. It's not during the search, right before. And he says, I got to tell you what happened last night. So he was so excited. What had happened was he was getting a Coke out of the, the student union building, the Commons at Howard Payne University, and he was inviting students. He was talking to this girl at the Coke machine. He invites her to church. She says, well, I don't live here. I'm just visiting a friend. I'm going back. And uh, she said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're, we're starting a new church, and we're reaching out to students. We believe God wants to do something big here. And while she's standing there, she looks at him, and she said, uh, I need to give you something. And he didn't know her. And she, he said, what? She said, the Lord just told me to give you what was in my wallet, what was in my purse, to give it to you. And he was like, oh, cool. He's thinking five bucks or something, you know. And she said, and it's for your church. And she opens her purse and she hands him a $100 bill. Now, you show me one college student in the world who's ever had a $100 bill in their purse. <laughs> that in itself is a miracle to start with. 
So we're starting on pretty amazing ground. He hands, she hands him that, and she says, I've got two or three more bucks in here, but do you mind if I keep it because I'm going to go to Taco Bell before I head back to San Angelo? He's like, no, thank you. So he ran in excited to tell us that he had been given 100 bucks. It wasn't 10000 but Curtis, it might as well have been. It might as well have been for us. And you know what that was for us? It was a shoulder tap. It was the fist bump. It was the high five from God saying, I've got you. I've got you. And in a sense, get ready. Because <laughs> there's more miracles coming. And i got to tell you, they did over and over and over that's what a miracle is. If we're going to look at a definition of it, next slide says this. A miracle, it's the word dunamis in the Koine Greek, the original Greek, and it's, it means a force. Think in terms of dynamite, dunamis, dynamite, transliterated, especially miraculous power, usually by implication, a miracle itself. It's actually the power to work miracles. Ability, might, a worker of miracles, power, strength, a mighty, wonderful work. That's what miracles are. And the New Testament is full of them. And Jesus did over 40 of them that were recorded. And then there were other ancillary miracles that happened just because He showed up. Things happened and things happen when Jesus shows up. And so in Cana of Galilee, He decides we're going to do something Amazing. Actually, he didn't even decide it. His mama decided it. And how many of you know you're not going to say no to a Jewish mama? So let's watch what happens here. And before we read the Scripture, again, it's John chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this quote from Pastor Steve Berger. Every pastor has pastors. He's my pastor uh, from Tennessee, Nashville. He says this, We mustn't think Jesus did what He did because He was gifted in ways that are unavailable to us. Did you get that? Jesus came as the Son of Man. He put on an earth suit and He moved into the neighborhood. He lived among us, walked among us. He bled. He died. Jesus was one of us. And we must not think that He did what He did because He was somehow gifted in ways that are unavailable to us. If we do, we will cease learning and imitating the miraculous. Jesus came to show us what's possible not to demonstrate what's not possible then somehow give us this impossible thing to live up to. The beauty of it is, is He wants to work in the miraculous, in this the supernatural, which means above nature or above natural, that which is natural. But He wants to do it in you and through you. He Himself, not you, Him in you living His life. Listen to this in verse 1. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Why was she there? She was there because she was helping. Cana, Cana is in the northern end of Israel. And the lake that we're talking about, the Sea of Galilee, it's that area. It's actually a lake. Uh, Cana is just a few miles west of the lake, just a little bit north of Nazareth, in a very real sense, in the neighborhood of Jesus and His family. Apparently, Mary had been tapped to help out because the women in the villages would come together to assist in these weddings. Men and families with daughters. You need to know something. First of all, you think you took a hit when your daughter got married? Listen, your, your wedding was one day. Ah, there were some expenses surrounding that, quite a bit actually. But listen to this. Can you imagine having a wedding that lasts seven days? A Jewish wedding is seven days, and the father and the family that hosts the wedding of the bride provide all the food for all of the guests, all of the wine and drink for seven days. 
So we're getting out pretty easy on this end. Can I get an amen? Or an oh my, because it didn't feel easy, right? Well, I've got another one coming up somewhere down the road, and we're not doing a seven-day deal, I'm just telling you right now. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Jesus had just gathered His first disciples together, and His mother was there. Why? She was involved. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. So Jesus is there. He's got His guys with Him. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, they have no wine. Why is it a problem if the wine runs out? Because in that culture, in that day, that it would be a disgrace and an embarrassment and actually a criminal violation if you ran out of wine at a wedding. Alright, I'm telling you, first century, Israel, it's the east. Here's the deal. In the law, the Jewish law, there was a law that said if the family did not provide enough food and drink for the entire wedding, they could literally be charged and fined. So that's the situation. We have a setup here for a failure. For an embarrassment. And also it would embarrass Jesus' mother. Because she was involved in this. So we have a setup now. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Not a lot of explanation. No going deep in the weeds. She's like, look, we're out of wine. Jesus, my son. Now here's what Jesus says to her. And I don't advise any men using this kind of language. But listen to this. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there's a couple of funny things here, interesting things. When Jesus said to her, Woman, it sounds offensive to our culture, right? You need to understand, though, this is a term of endearment. And actually the word, the translation here, I wish they would change that a little bit and translate it to what, it, what he's really saying. Because what he's saying, it's a term of endearment, and it's actually the same name that he called her when he was hanging from the cross, and he looked at John and said, this will become your mother. She is now your mother. It was a term of endearment. It's actually a beautiful term. But when we read it in the English, it sounds horrible. So he's saying, mother, mother, mom, mother. What, what, in other words, what is it, what do I, I don't have anything to do with this. Because my hour has not yet come. God's a God of timing, sequence, and order. And it wasn't His time to go public. In fact, when this miracle occurred, it didn't even go public yet. And there's a reason for it. Verse 5, His mother said to the servants, Now this is a typical Jewish mom. He says, My hour has not come. What does this have to do with me? And she says, Do what He says. In other words, mama steps up, good Jewish mama steps up and says, you do exact." She ignored his pushback and said, do what he says. And Jesus, being the obedient son, maybe she brought up what happened when he was 12 and he got lost in the caravan and had to go do a search and rescue mission for him. Remember when he was teaching the, the guys at the temple and they were astounded by him? Remember, remember the stress that put her? She may, maybe she leveraged that, I don't know. Maybe she was like some moms who say, basically, pack your bags, son, you're going on a guilt trip. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I do know this. He acted. He moved. Look what happens, verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Okay? There's six pots with 20 or 30 gallons. 
You can do the math. That's a lot of water, and that's going to become a lot of wine. Now look what happens. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Notice this doesn't go public. He just says to the servants, just fill them up, up to the brim. Verse 8, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast was overseeing uh, probably a local celebrity, someone who was famous in the community, very honored, very... Had they run out of wine, it would have been a horrible embarrassment to him as well as the family, as well as the groom. And he says this. He says, draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. He's kind of the MC who's overseeing everything. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, that's interesting, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Let's just get real, folks, okay? The Bible's a real book for real people with real people in it. This is historical. These are real people with real emotions like you and me. So let's get real with it. First of all, he says that everyone serves the good wine first. Why is that? Because at the first, you want the good stuff because you're not inebriated, frankly. Now, I know this sounds irreligious, but listen, Jesus wasn't real religious if you think about it. He's very disruptive in nature, but he's just calling it out. He's saying, look, Everybody serves a good wine first. That kind of gets everything started. Once the party's rolling, day two, three, four, five, six or seven, nobody cares after that. And he says this, but you have kept the good wine until now. What he didn't know, and he did not know what had happened. Look what happens. Jesus touches common water, and it becomes the best of the best. And when it's served up, he doesn't step up and take credit. He doesn't step up and say, look what I did. All that happens, you know who gets the credit? The groom and their family. He brings honor to a family that was on the verge of dishonor. Let me tell you what Jesus done, does when he turns water into wine into your life. He takes the lost and he finds it. He takes the bound and makes us free. He takes ashes and turns them to beauty. He takes the broken things in our lives and makes them whole. He takes the sick, touches the sick, and, see, and healing comes. He turns death to life. He takes what was bound for hell, touches it, and creates something that is bound for heaven. He takes the law and He changes it, touches it, and it becomes grace. He takes judgment and condemnation and brings pardon and adjudication. He touches that which is empty and it becomes overflow in our lives. For you, wherever you are today, wherever you find yourself right now, He wants to touch that empty, broken, condemned place in you. He wants to touch it and turn water to wine into your life. To touch the ordinary and make it extraordinary. That's what Jesus wants to do in you, for you, and then through you for others. 
Look what happens as a result. Verse 11, this is the first of his signs. Interesting, the word here is not the word miracle. It's actually the word sign, which is something that indicates something. And we say it this way. It's like I said last week. If you're going to Lubbock and you stop at the sign 14 miles from Lubbock, you're not there. It's only something that points to a greater reality. That's what a sign does. And Jesus did this sign. And look at the result. Jesus did this at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. Word glory is an interesting word. It's the word doxa. And it literally means radiance, brilliance, but it also means might and power. It also means His presence. He manifested all of that in that moment when He touched the wine. And you know what's beautiful about the story? A, He avoided the humiliation of that family. But here's another beautiful thing. He allowed the servants to be in on the secret. He allowed the servants to be in on the miracle. Isn't that just like Jesus? That He touches our lives. My common, ordinary, post-bold gold antelopes, Texas life, West Texas, born and bred, and says, I've got an assignment for you, but you're going to need some touching first. You're going to need some miracles. And that's what He does for you and He does for me. He touches us and He turns water into wine. He turns the ordinary into extraordinary. He turns average into the best. And that's what He wants to do in your life. So would you be open to the miracle? Would you be willing to participate in the miracle? The final result is that His new disciples that He had just gathered to Himself, it says this, and His disciples believed in Him. They were like, He's the real deal. He is who we thought He was. He is who He says He is. So here it is, a simple challenge. Would you pray, Father, and Russ, you can come on up. Would you pray this, Father, would you give me the gift of faith to believe Jesus' Word that I will do even greater works as I grow as a child of God. Jesus said, not only are you going to do what I did, you're going to do even greater works. Greater works than Jesus did? So would you be open to the miracle and would you be part? And really what this is, it's a shift in our mindset of saying, yes, Lord, I don't understand what that might look like. I don't understand what that might require. But here's where I'm at. I open my heart. I open my mind. I open my life to you. I want to be open to the miracle. I want to be a part of the miracle. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Use me. And the beauty of it is, is He will. He will. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? Whatever your situation or circumstance is right now that you find yourself in, I believe that God wants to do some shoulder taps, some fist bumps, some high fives today. Why? To simply let you know that He's here. He did it for Curtis and Sarah at a time when they thought, we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to basically give up on this, what we thought was a call of God, what we thought was a vision. And He showed up and He touched it and He brought the confirmation they need. When we were planting our little church in Brownwood with a bunch of wild and crazy college students, he showed up with the shoulder tap. 
with a moment, with a miracle in the moment to say, I'm here. I've got you. I've got you. More's coming. And it did. And He wants to do that for you. So the first part of what I'm going to ask you to do is simply say yes to the Lord. And even right now, under your breath, would you say, yes, Lord, I'm open. I'm open to the miracle. I'm open. And Lord, use me to play a role in that. Just tell me what to do. Show me what to do. While we're going to celebrate the miracles of Jesus, some 40, more than that, throughout the New Testament, and yet as awesome as these signs and wonders, miracles are the greatest miracle and sign that could never be denied is the transformation of the heart. 